And Becky, I think, I think, I think, I think Becky's another one named. Becky's a good one. I think Becky, a, a Becky is supposed to be somebody that's younger than a Karen. I think a Karen is supposed to be more middle-aged. Okay. Like I would qualify as a Karen, especially because of my hair, because there's also sort of a anti-blonde vibe to the whole thing too. Becky's and Karen's. Well, hello and thank you for being here for Monday, May 1st, May Day, um, Solid Ground live stream. And David is back. So David, back, back and better than ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, better than ever. A new improved David.0. Um, awesome. As you were talking, I was just thinking, I know what's going to happen. She's going to go and ask me to go to the blurb. So I'm bringing that up right now. Jennifer improvised last week for you. She couldn't find it, so she did her best. Best Should David I... impression. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to ask. <laughs> False beard. And I was very dignified. And, and a British accent. And oh. she said pounds. <laughs> <laughs> right well i've had a couple of glasses of wine so we'll see if i get pounds or dollars so solid ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice csj aka woke and or covid mandates in their workplace university children's school or community we offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas thoughts and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies and to answer the question where do we go from here you can join one of our groups for only $5 per month. And to find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note, Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such. Well, excellent. Bang. No pounds. <laughs> so um, we, we have talked about critical race theory in the past. And we have talked about it from the standpoint of how it dehumanizes minorities and people who are the in the marginalized category per critical race theory. And we had, um, we had Kara Marcel on to talk with us about that and give us her perspective, which was really great. And I think there's a lot to say about that. But one thing we haven't addressed is the anti-white aspect of CRT and CRT teachings. And I, um, Deborah shared with us just a, a, a podcast where somebody was going, uh, sort of talking about that and giving examples of it. And it was really powerful. It was really interesting to see. And it's such a big component of this. I, I think it's, it's so clear to me that it's not just anti-white, it's anti I mean, it's, it's just establishing division, but a big, a, a big part of the rhetoric is to be anti-white or whiteness, whatever that means. And it means a lot of things according to them. And so it does seem like a good thing to bring up and discuss. And what are, do y'all have any initial thoughts on that? Yeah. So the, um, the video that we're talking about, I just want to say, cause I would really like for everybody to watch it. It's on PragerU. And it's Amala. Um, she does a show called Unapologetic, um, Unapologetically Amala, I think. And sh what she's doing in this particular segment is she's watching a video by Charlie Cheon that went viral. It had close to 4 million views. And in the video, he's talking about how um, it's become completely socially acceptable to say, really terrible things about white people to say it publicly and that um, anybody who objects is then shamed and accused of racism. And he has all of these examples that he pulled from um, TikTok videos of people making really, I, I think just vicious statements about white people. And then Amala watches um, Charlie's video and comments on it. And it's just, it's really, really interesting. She does a great job with it and so does he. And I'm really glad that he made that video and I'm really glad she watched it and then commented on it because I, I think this deserves more discussion. So thank you to both of them. Yeah, I'll put that video link 
in the description since we're talking about it so much and it's relevant. So I'll add that to the description underneath this video after we post it. Great, thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. I mean, there's examples like the girl who, when she says the word white, she has to spit. She uses like, yeah, she like hawks the word out. I right. mean, that's really, and then the one who says, uh, if you're going to bring your token white friend, you have to get permission from everybody else because they might not be in the mood for white shenanigans or something yeah. like that. Oh, I've seen that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the, I think it was a young man, perhaps a Native American, who said that when people ask him, uh, white people ask him how to be a better ally. Um, the best thing to do is just to not have kids. Oh gosh. So, you know, white people shouldn't breed. So all of the videos are along that level of hatred and just really derogatory terms for white people. Um, like Q-tips, mayo monsters, some of which oh, I'm wow. just laugh at. And I'm going to share I, this. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, other, the other big one is about saying that they should unalive themselves. I mean, that's just. Yeah. This is yeah. something here that I'm, I'm just trying to go up to the top of it. So USC libraries, I got this off of the Antioch University website, their social justice library resources. Mm -hmm. and so this is one of their resources for teachers This teaching the psychosocial subject, white students and racial privilege. So all of the things that we're talking about with these examples of these, these TikTok type videos where people are are being nasty about white people, they're downstream from this kind of stuff right here. Mm. And this is what's being pushed on them in schools. And so if we go down here, we're going to just read this description. I'll read this out loud because it's pretty short. This is the description of this, this book on whiteness. This inquiry, or, or maybe it's an article, this inquiry poses the question, how can white college students be induced or incited into recognizing themselves as racially marked and privileged people? Induced or incited? How are mm. we going to manipulate them, right? The author right. examines white resistance to racial self-understanding by analyzing the relation between white racial identity development theory, appeals to racial discourses and themes, and the psychic need to defend against perceived threats to identity. By situating an analysis of these relations in, within the current crisis of whiteness, crisis of whiteness, the author <laughs> illustrates the psychosocial dynamics of white racial identity development. The aim of the study is to develop a conceptual approach that can inform the thought and practice of anti-racist educators who seek to develop effective instructional strategies for teaching white students about racial privilege. And this is what was done in my recently in my graduate school. I don't know if this is happening to you, David, in yours. Let me stop the share. In my course, no. I, mm -hmm. Well, we don't have anything. Well, we did have a whiteness day last year, but we don't have anything quite as on the nose as that stuff. But there is just a, a general feeling, isn't there, that, that, that certain certain groups of people have now become, um, uh, there's like a sanctioned, a socially sanctioned group of people that it's okay to be awful about and people don't recognize that that's another form of othering and um demonization and and you know i can't help feel that this it's got similarities with um sort of anti-semitism in a way the sense that privilege and and power is is fixed and it's okay to punch upwards and that's i think that sort of assumption is then allowing as you said downstream things to just become even more grotesque mm -hmm. what's a whiteness day Oh yeah, we talked about this at the um yeah in the interview, didn't we? Yeah. Um and, and, and actually um you you asked me a question, I think, during the interview, Leslie, which was something along the lines of what do you think the aim is for these, you know, these infographics that have got sort of um what whiteness is and whiteness is showing up on time or like empiricism or scientific inquiry or something like that. And I remember thinking at the time, I didn't know how to answer the question because it's a good question, but I didn't really know what the answer was. And I thought it's, it really is just tear. It's, it's, it is just designed by people only interested in tearing down society itself it, with all the structures we've got in, 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 in built. And so the best thing you can do is to personify the structure of the world so that we can then play upon these in-group, out-group sensibilities we've all gone, got. And it's almost like, it's almost like using that to then tear down society. So you pr pr provide the kind of worst bits of society, but then you house them within a people 
and people will go after the, the people who aren't aware of their own I don't know shadow if you like or racial um, tendencies to racialize people that can then I think be quite a potent way to tear down society but I don't think people are conscious I don't know people some people are conscious of it some people don't seem to be yeah, it seems like harnessing, I mean, every human's ability to be tribal, you know, every human's ability to have in-group, out-group, you know, potential animosity and weaponize that to, again, do this sort of uh, societal um, disassembly, mm. if you will. And um, it, I, I can go on, I was just thinking about the thing, of the race to dinner I was telling you about, because I was mentioning to the group here about listening to a special place in hell, Megan Doms and um, Sarah Hader's podcast. And they had the women on who host that. And the women didn't know that <laughs> Sarah and Megan might not have mm-hmm. the same point of view, but it was interesting for them. They, they, they felt like in order to make a better society that we actually should make sure everybody's racialized. And so it's important for white people to know they are a race because they're, they're the only ones that get to go not thinking they're one because they're you know, dominant. And I think it's, David, what you're sort of pointing to, like a lot of things get conflated. And I mean, we mix, it seems like they're mixing up white with enlightenment values with, oh, which the majority of the population. So maybe that's why things are, they are, because there's just more people who are, have a particular viewpoint. And it just seems like this easy thing to just go, let's just call that whole thing white. Mm-hmm. and make it like oppressive mm-hmm. and not and not to say that there weren't things that you know you know white supremacy as you know historically we know it that that didn't exist and that didn't maybe I don't say like solidify but make some of these things stuck together make sense that they stuck together but they don't really all you know go together for sure you know yeah yeah that's a good point and I've heard um you know, whiteness equated with capitalism. So I think in a way it is partially a stand-in for things that people don't like and want to dismantle. And David, I'm glad you brought up um, the comparison to anti-Semitism because I do think that this has the same flavor. And there's been a lot of discussion back and forth about if we should use the term anti-white because that term had been used by sort of legitimately far-right people. But I think that part of why we're um, kind of losing in a culture war is all of these language games. And I think it's important to call things what they are. And I do think that imposing critical race theory harms minorities as well as it harms white people. But, and I also think it is explicitly anti-white. And um, Jewish people rightly call out things that are anti-Semitic. And I think that white people should um, follow suit. And when something is, um, you know, blatantly discriminatory against us or, you know, making false accusations, I think, you know, like um, what one of the people in the video said, uh, white people are a threat to, minorities by our very existence. I think it was a white person saying it. I I think we need to call that out as Mm anti-white because that is absolutely what it is. And even though, yes, it also has other components, it is Mm -hmm. anti-white. Well, and and Deborah and Jennifer, I think that's really true. I think that's really well said and and, uh, we do need to call it what it is and stop letting their language games dictate you know, the rules of the game, like how we're going to tiptoe around these things because we're afraid of stepping on the landmines that they've set out for us. But um, Deborah, one of the other things that I think that that gets conflated with it so often is the the issue of socioeconomic status. And it's, it's a huge confounding factor in, in this, like this game of critical race theory and white people have so much privilege. And it's one of these things that the critical race theorists sort of dismiss out of hand. They just don't want to address it. It's kind of like, yeah, well, there's some issue with poor white people, but you know, they're still white. So um, they still benefit from their, their majority culture privilege somehow. But I, it seems to me that the people who resonate with this white guilt sort of idea are the middle class or or wealthier people because to them they're like well oh yeah maybe that is kind of maybe i can kind of see myself in that where people who are from a a a more 
impoverished background or just a more more lower socioeconomic status background are they don't see themselves represented in this like when you look at the white privilege checklist where it's you know i've i, I we should maybe pull it up <laughs> but there's all these different the different attributes or experiences that you're supposed to have had or not have had because of the protection of being white and people who have grown up uh, economically disadvantaged will look at that and say, no, I haven't had those experiences. That doesn't represent my life. And yet that's not really dealt with in this, this. And there's also the issue of forced teaming because what does white mean? I mean, does, is there such a thing as a white community? I mean, that's almost laughable, isn't it? Like you don't look at another person and go, oh, they're white like me. I think we're going to get along. I mean, that doesn't make that's like that's funny because it makes no sense because it's such a it's, it's this broad umbrella what does it even mean so many different cultures are called white and so many different places that you could be from and still and get that same label it's almost a meaningless label in some ways although i'm i'm hearing in my head it's like mm -hmm. i can already hear like um the crt response yeah it could yeah. be well white people have had the luxury of not needing to be aligned in a particular way because they're not fighting or battling something mm -hmm. like we've mm -hmm. needed to know that other people in our community think similarly because we're fighting a particular fight and we don't have the luxury of having a bunch of different opinions i don't know i don't know if that's how it would go but i could hear I, in my mind was already <laughs> imagining something of that nature mm -hmm. um I'm not saying that's actually a valid, valid argument, but I could see people, you know, potentially countering with something like that. No, it is the argument. And then they would say that if you don't follow that way of thinking, then what you're doing is centering whiteness. That's their, their statement about it. it. Yeah, I think that that, I think that is the argument. And I also think that that argument is incorrect. And there are multiple groups in the United States that are non-white that out-earn whites. So Nigerians, who are very much people of color, out-earn white Americans, yeah. Taiwanese, Chinese, Lebanese. Um, uh, there's a number of groups that out-earn white Americans. So clearly, um, it's not such a dreadfully racist country that automatically anybody who is non-white is going to struggle and be able to attain their goals. It's simply not true. And probably if you offered most people on the African continent a chance to come live in the U.S., you could probably empty out half the continent. And they wouldn't all wish to come here if they thought there was absolutely no chance of getting ahead. I think the counter, then again, I, I'll, I'll be like the counter arguments today. That's great. Yeah, no, they'll be, they would come, I, I, this I know is often said, then they would say that those particular groups are, um, you know, either white adjacent or they're embodying whiteness. And that, so that's apparently oh, oh. A, ba a bad thing um, because they're Sorry. succeeding in a capitalist system and whatever they're doing is not going to dismantle this, this seemingly oppressive system and so it's not as though that's the thing too it doesn't even it doesn't even let those people or for example black people who choose to do the things on the list mm -hmm. that are white or whatever like that like as though they don't they're not human is that they don't make their own choices that they don't make their own assessment that this these particular supposed white things might be a good way to behave <laughs> or you know um i mean i want to say white things because well as, like we logic all know, being logic time, and being on time yeah having an agenda in a yeah. meeting you know and um there's other ways we might critique those for being you know Politeness. All about produ producing and maybe we don't all want to be cogs in the machine you know or whatever mm -hmm. but those are generally good habits by mm -hmm. and large right and i think the fact that those habits when they are used by people of any race tend to be correlated with success proves that those habits have nothing to do with whiteness. Um, and I think it's extraordinarily racist to say that being on time, being logical, valuing objective facts, that that is white is extremely demeaning to non-white people because it's saying essentially that they're irrational, cannot be on time, cannot um, engage with facts and data in a productive way mm -hmm. and that they, um, 
are, you know, in a sense, deficient because of that. And I, I just simply don't think that those things are true. And I don't think that those are features of whiteness. I, I think it's um, kind of like what you were saying before, Deborah, an attempt to, um, you know, tear down capitalism. And these are things that they see as features of capitalism. And also, um, it's sort of to make excuses for people who haven't um, done well and who haven't attained a certain level of financial stability and security. It's the, it's the, it's the equity mindset, isn't it? It's just, it's the, it's the idea. I mean, and it's, it's, it's almost completely simplistic, isn't it? It's basically saying these are some things that actually do, do start to move you up the socioeconomic scale. So we should look at that and look at the people who are able to do that and go, those things will therefore mean that less people have that stuff, that stuff that you're acquiring, social capital, economics and all that stuff. The stuff that you're getting as a result of having these attributes therefore makes you a target because you're not following the equity uh, mindset. You you need to redistribute. And like, and the intersection list is all about in, redistribution of power. So it's it's just, also, it's just, it's, it's completely ridiculous. Go on, Deborah. Well, also whiteness as, I'm just starting as we're talking about this, it's almost like this boogeyman or this evil substance, right? And then, and then it's like, oh no, the Nigerians partook of this. They ate some of the white poison. I'm getting a little exaggerated, but I'm getting this sense of this projected, like this entity almost, this this whiteness thing almost takes on this archetypal thing that can, it's, it's kind of like moving everywhere and you can just, you can just attribute it to have it like invaded somebody or something mm -hmm. in some sense, right? And then like it, almost, it, it took mm -hmm. them over or something and um, they're not being their authentic selves. And I just, just as a phenomenon, right? Mm. Like a psychological phenomenon, I think it's interesting. Mm. It's the liberation I've model. They got to liberate them and decolonize them because that's their colonial mindset. And this is, this is so similar to the, the Chinese cultural revolution where it was the Han that were being attacked. It was the, the majority group were the Han and they were being attacked. And what the four olds were, that needed to be um, done away with were ideas, customs, culture, and habits of mind. And so these were the things that were being, um, that people were, were, were told to hate and change. And if you look at what we're doing right now, this is this is the American cultural revolution or maybe the uh, Western world cultural revolution that we're living through right now. And you just replace Han, replace the word Han with the word white and you have the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there was this professor, I can't remember the professor's name, but they wrote this paper and it was basically arguing that whiteness is like a parasite that mainly attaches itself to white people. And the language in it reminded me very much of sort of um, anti-Semitic language around uh, the, you know, around World War II, um, where you start creating ideas and imagery of parasites and disease and a risk to public health. So it becomes in the interest of public health and it becomes a um, social good to discriminate against a bunch of people um, and then ultimately eradicate them. And I have heard language like that, that um, sounds extremely genocidal to me. And then again, when you say anything about it, people say, oh, you're engaging in that white replacement, you know, far right, uh, white genocide theory. And, and so again, it becomes something where you feel like it's difficult to point out to people um, this is pretty much how all of the atrocities that we've seen in the 20th century started with demonizing a particular group. I mean, when has it gone well, demonizing a group of people? I can't think of when it's ended well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it takes decades, you know, you have, to, you have to really build up the idea that they are a threat. And another thing that they were saying a lot, um, especially during, the pandemic to kind of um, say, well, it's okay to go out and have these, you know, protests, really riots, um, and that's not going to spread COVID. You're outside, um, but uh, because there's a larger threat, 
And that larger threat is racism, that racism is a public health threat. Well, and they think that racism is mainly enacted by white people. So you're essentially kind of indirectly arguing that white people are a threat to public health. So that's trying to encourage like the disgust sensibilities around Mm. around whiteness, which is a further step in dehumanization. Fear Mm. and justification of removal of rights Mm. because we're a threat. Mm. It's interesting to bringing up the topic of anti-Semitism as well, Jen. There was a, I don't know if you guys have heard over that side of the pond, like about Diane Abbott and the Labour Party and how she wrote a, I think she wrote a piece that was going to be published. I'm not completely sure whether this, 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 this sort of piece that she wrote ended up, but it was leaked or it was shared around and it was, she's, she's a longstanding member of the Labour Party. I think she was the first black woman as part of the, that joined the Labour Party many, many years ago, but she talked about how, um, uh, discrimination towards Jews is not racism; it's just prejudice. And she likened it to um, ginger people at school being bullied, and it was it was just like uh, absolutely, you know. And she said she said it's not really racism, not the way that black people are treated. Mm-hmm. So she took away all of the. She tried to take away with the power that the word racism is. You know, the word is so useful, isn't it? I think in creating change and to creating animosity and all those sorts of things she was taking the power away mm-hmm. and saying the jewish people don't have the power and the protection of that word basically i think because what they're what they go through is more likened to prejudice and she used an example of a ginger person being bullied at school for the same thing and it's i just couldn't i just could not believe it she's a smart woman she's she must have known what she was writing but she obviously is doesn't and it's just the the glaring blind spot is just well shocking really and she's now getting she's now getting i think um just sorry just quickly she's now i think her her membership of the labor party is being called into question finally because she was very much a a, a, um she was very much a kind of like an ally of corbyn and the current labor leader is quite keen to remove those allies (laughs) should we say so anyway yeah i was just remembering it's a different scenario because it's a minority but um i had a client once from Indonesia, whose their family was from China, and this may have happened in Malaysia as well, but the Chinese did quite well economically in Indonesia. And there was a, and there was a lot of resentment against them. And there was a phase, I remember telling me a story of I, I, major unrest, like in Jakarta, whatever, against militating against like Chinese. And I'm now white people, we are the majority, you know, like this is the majority of the country. So I'm not talking it. And there's other things in our history that we could, under, I can understand why people might go, well, they benefited from something. But I, I want to make the point that this phenomenon, sometimes of a people doing whatever they're doing, whatever sets of behaviors that they're happening to enact that is actually helping them and that somehow, you know, causing some kinds of, you know, what would say the, you know, Jewish people being successful or that can sometimes cause some kind of resentment and unrest. And it isn't interesting that that does happen. Um, I guess when we had the grievance mentality, instead of an attitude of what are, oh, wow, what are those people over there doing? Um, maybe I want to see what they're doing. That would be interesting to take on myself. Like, what is it about human nature that we sometimes go towards um, wanting to tear down? Now, right now, there's a philosophy of we're trying to dismantle. So that's getting in people's heads. But I'm just wondering, like, when do people tend to have more like, huh, they seem to be doing well. How can I get in on it? Right. Versus, uh oh, we we don't want them doing what they're doing and we're going to agitate. Makes you wonder how much, how much, how much of a component of like ra- racism is often in fueled with with resentment and 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 this kind of this idea that even you know even even KKK members believe that probably that they were victims because their white race was being I don't know diluted or that somehow their communities were being overthrown and that you know they would have built it up in their mind you know. Um, you wonder how much, I mean, it's just the most potent, surely the most potent psychological I don't know, trick or um, emotion, should we say, for, for getting changed politically is to create some sort of resentment for another group. I don't know. It, 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 sometimes it is, there is racism punching down where you think you're better than other people, definitely. But how often is it also tinged with resentment? Well, and that makes me think also, I'm, I know I've said this a number of times recently, but the word diversity, I keep coming back to that. 
it's what's the it it's too too divert i think is the wordplay here there it's a diversion we are being diverted from one another turned away from and that's what this really is is it's a it's a movement of turning people away from one another and uh i think that there's a lot of orwellian language play going on and yeah it's uh, coming back to that concept of force teaming it seems like the well the implication is that if you're if you're a person who has whiteness then you're like other people who have whiteness you are like other white people you are more alike to those people than you are like anybody else so you're one big group and um i think that that's just bizarre to think that that you know i might have more in common with David, who's a British man, a man living in a different country because we have a similar skin tone. We're more like one another than I am like, you know, a girl who grew up in my neighborhood who is Hispanic yeah. or, you know, so I, I think I'm, you know, it's, it's just a bizarre thing to think that that would be a characteristic that would be so central to one's identity. And um, yeah, I have a lot more thoughts on that, but I, I could give some really crappy analogies that would probably get me in trouble, but I don't know. I was just thinking, as you were talking there about a conversation I had with an, a, a supervisor once when I was an assistant about, she was talking about decolonializing the curriculum. And I thought, and she she talked about sort of moving out, um, you know, uh, writers like Shakespeare from the curriculum. And I thought, and I said, do you think, do you think I have more in common, I have more in common with a, with a 30 year old black dude who's born in, you know, the last 30 years than Shakespeare. Do you know what I mean? Where's the where's the where's the where's the <laughs> commonality there? But it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. With yeah. So I was just thinking that mm -hmm. as you were saying that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she didn't really know what to say back. Now, David, I'm picturing you drinking in the pub with Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Shakespeare go way back, to be fair. You go way, way back. <laughs> I think, you know, in terms of um also with the language games, one of the things early on that raised red flags for me was when I heard, I actually heard it on NPR, this is back when I still listened to NPR, and they said um, that the definition of racism had changed from regarding a race as um, inherently superior or inferior to racism equals prejudice plus power. And it was very clear to me that a game was being played with language and that it was a strategic game and that it was designed to make it um, arguable that you can't be racist against white people because they then it will be argued. And as it has been, well, white people hold the power. So you can't be racist against them. You could have a prejudice, but you can't be racist. And then that starts getting into how people treat one another. And it starts impacting also laws and policies. And there was, um, they mentioned in the, uh, in, Amal, in Amala's video, she, um, well, Charlie mentioned that um, in Minneapolis, the local government agreed with the teachers union that if teachers need to be laid off, that they would lay off the white teachers first. So you're now firing on the basis of race, but it's not racist. So who has the power then? Well, Even by their own definition, I mean, they're kind of shooting themselves yeah. in the foot now. Well, exactly. I mean, and I think it could be argued and it is argued in that vi in um, Amala's video that black people are kind of institutionally in a position of power. I've heard a lot of different people tell me, um, you know, in confidence that the organization that they're working for, that upper management is being given the message by, you know, the CEOs, um, the powers that be not to, hey, don't hire somebody white for this new position. Don't do that. I've heard this again and again from people was specifically, we need a person of color in this position. It is absolutely racial discrimination. But the language games are to try to prevent us from noticing it and thinking about it and being able to articulate it clearly. Not to play devil's advocate, but just to come in on on um on <laughs> the uh prejudice plus power thing i think it's interesting because what 
I guess if racism is holding um, stereotyped or and and negative views of another person based on race, if I mean I I don't know if that's a really coherent. Um, it's like teaming people and making assumptions about them based on race or ethnicity, but discrimination is a uh, is implies power. It imp discrimination and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Discrimination just means being in the position of making a choice between options, right? I mean, if and we use it as a negative thing when we're talking about people, we're discriminating a, among people for um, unfair superficial characteristics say um so if if an element of racism is discrimination then there would be an element of power but it seems like it's a very fluid and flexible and context specific thing so for instance if white people at large say in the 1970s and 80s when i was growing up and 90s you know so my childhood was mostly in the 80s and I lived in a pocket of the country where white was the minority and I um, experienced quite a bit of bullying growing up and based on being white. There, there was power there and it was not in, it wasn't uh, concentrated in the white hands or whatever you want to call it, whatever I'm, I'm using all these, I'm just going to be blunt and whatever. So the, if the country at large is powerful in it, the power lies in the white centers or whatever it is, the white majority pockets may not always experience that. So there's fluidity to that power as well. And so there's going to be a variation of personal experience and individual experience. And it feels kind of crazy that you would even have to say that, that different people are going to have different experiences, but uh, kind of going back to that idea of power, it makes the power element doesn't not make sense to me that they would they would clarify that i don't like changing the definitions of words that's bizarre but but then again english is a developing language still it's it started as a pidgin language which has kind of grown and keeps on becoming more things as it develops um but that's a side tangent yeah but i guess language language should be developed and evolved naturally rather than be be um stated by an authority how mm. it should be used i think that's I think the, also, the key distinction i think there's also muddled somewhat some of it's purposeful and some of it i don't know if it is but even the muddled thinking around okay the structures are racist like we could say the system you know the laws you know and then we could make it that's the prejudice post power but but then there's the other move where it's like no the unconsciousnesses of everybody are where it's all residing, right? And it's like they, it, it moves around where this, um, you know, like racism is lying. And sometimes again, it's external and it's nobody's fault, but we need to fix the system. And then it's like, no, we need to retool all the people, <laughs> right? And we need to un like fix their individual consciousness because it resides in any person who's white just by nature of the skin color. It's like you could, you came out, you're born. It's just immediately like it might as well be in your genetic, you know, like material. And so it's just weird to me how it, where people are imputing where this, you know, racism exists or whatever, mm -hmm. it, 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 it kind of moves around. But in, in either case, in one case, it seems like it's a little bit, okay, you're a little off the hook. It's not stating something about you as a person, it's more the system. And the other way, it's like, no, like you are this white person. Mm -hmm. This is where it starts getting very nefarious, right? When it's like you as this person um, are embodying these basically bad attributes. Yeah, we were taught in in um, my, in the graduate program that I've been talking about so much um, that there's the white identity development model that we were taught it's a what you you develop a white identity this is your white racial identity and you develop it and this and like the first stage of it is you are surrounded by only white people until a certain stage in life and you start to meet people of color and you start to feel them as other you start to see them as other and there's like these real specific steps that you have experienced and they're uh, you know patently falsifiable by people's life experiences. Like I could just say, that's not at all true. I just, that is not, that has not been my experience. And that has not been the experience of a lot of people. So it's based on these 
assumptions. And so when I was talking in this class and I'm saying, no, this doesn't fit this, this seems, um, I disagree. Um, I used some of my own life as an example, like just here, this was, this doesn't fit because this, this doesn't fit because this, and my teacher said, yeah, you experienced all that, but then luckily you had your white privilege to fall back on. And, and so it's like this idea that there's this white hive mind that we all belong to. And we're all like sort of benefiting off of like this, there's this, you can, you can take the aggregate of that and then, and then chop it back up and give it to the individual people. And then they, they each got a slice of that white pie. <laughs> I don't know. I, it just, it's bizarre. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it reminds me like both what you were saying as and Deborah, like that the, one of the nefarious parts of, of some of the linguistic tools is the, is the ability to go out of individual into societal level out and then back in again as we see fit and I've even heard it on my course is kind of like we're talking about whiteness but don't think that this is a personal individual thing we're just talking about structures we're just talking about like institutions (laughs) but if you are white in this room you'll probably find by the end of the day that you're encouraged less and less to talk and you'll get certain view um, certain looks for talking too much and there's the, impl- the implicit sort of sense of the instruction is to to shut up, but we can keep ourselves from criticism by by like going in and out of that like sort of system and individual level uh, at any point. It's like a Mott and Bailey in, in itself, I think. You know the fact that um, that you had the experience that you had, Leslie. I mean, it to me it just kind of proves that. You know, they're, they're kind of trying to paint it as um, white people are these inherently racist power mongers, but any group can be prejudiced, any group can be racist, and white people are not unique in that way, and there's so much talk about, you know, white people and slavery, and like white people just, you know, just exist to oppress others, but it's the other parts of history aren't mentioned. You know, the Barbary pirates enslaved something like a, a quarter and a million um, white people, you know, for mm-hmm. for several centuries. So it's not unique to white people. And black people were sold into slavery by other black people by local African community leaders. And, you know, evil exists in all of us. And that's, that's kind of our individual work, you know, is Mm -hmm. to work to be the best person we can be. And that's true for everybody. Everybody has good and bad in them. It's like the calls are coming from inside the house. It's not some (laughs) mysterious that's bad, you know, like, oh, it's the white people. And if we just got rid of them, well, then everything would be fine. Or, oh, it's these people over here. It's, it's not, and maybe that's part of the human fantasy. And maybe that's why we're drawn to, you know, be prejudiced or, you know, racist as, as humans, because we want that fantasy. If, if we just get rid of this, then everything will be fine. This kind of utopian BS. Utopian. Thing. Yeah. You Watch know, us. like, in Mao's China, we'll just get rid of these, you know, the four olds and then, oh, our country's going to be fabulous. Yeah. We used to call that in-group, out-group dynamics, you know, like simply put that people all have the capacity for the othering each other and, and tribalism. And, and it's not, it's not like a, it's not a white thing. It's not a black thing. It's just a people thing. And yeah, it's something that you just said there. It really like, isn't it interesting that all of those negative things that you just described, those are white people things, but then all of these success things are also white people things. So what the heck are people supposed to, what's the acceptable range of human behavior? If you remove all, you know, you're taking the, the, all the things that could make you successful, but also all the things that might be, so people are like crushed into this little, like you have to live a little gray life and you have to like, just like, I don't, what are you allowed to do anymore? That's not, I don't know. There's not not much. I'm also thinking too, in that the special place in hell podcast, uh, Sarah Hader was pointing out same thing. She was saying like, well, you know, in, um, in India and Bangladesh and Pakistan, I mean, there has been you know, one group is thinks they're superior to another. And then Syro brought in, well, but they were colonized. And she said, 
honey, I shouldn't say honey, but she's like, this was going on before there was any colonizing. Like you, mm -hmm. they wanted to kind of blame it on like the, the white colonists. And um, I think where they come back to, and that's the thing that, that is hard to, I mean, me sometimes in my mind was like, there was in this country, a period of time where we yeah. did like, you know, legally like have institutionalized something that was, you know, making this racial hierarchy. And so we, we don't have that now, but I think people get very, I don't want to say stuck, but there's like a lot of sticking power to that mm -hmm. having happened that it really makes it harder for people to, to loosen up and make these distinctions like we're making, like it isn't all this or that, right? Like there's subtlety, mm -hmm. there's pockets, like you said, Leslie, right? And some, some people's minds get very locked on that, you know, very, you know, th that aspect of our history, which I am, you know, I find disturbing as well, right? But it's, they don't get that things have moved, like in that podcast, one woman said things haven't, haven't improved in 500 years. And mm -hmm. like Sarah and Megan were like, what? Yeah, I think that it's, it does seem very <laughs> clear that there is an element of this that's seeking to address something that's, that's really real. And there's a significance to it. Like I, um, <laughs> excuse me, I don't know. I can't know what it's like to grow up as somebody who's not me unless they tell me what it's been like for them. And I can listen to people's stories and understand that there is a difference of perspective and a difference of experience for people that tends to fall along um, observe physical characteristics. So I do believe that there is, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen what racism looks like. I've seen people treat each other terribly based on race. I've seen people talk about each other. I've seen it all over the place. And in a country where the majority is white, the majority of the oppression is going to be coming from the white people. That's just going to be the case. And so I wouldn't discount the fact that these things are addressing something that's real and it's a good discussion to have. And there's a way to have the discussion that doesn't stir up so much animosity and, and call people out without first looking at what that person's actions have actually been and what, and, and take an individual, this is like applied demography is what we're dealing with right now. This is what this really is. It's, it's a sociological applied demography movement that's that's completely erasing individual experience and individual uh, potential for thought difference because one of the things that comes up is that even in these programs these dei trainings and all these programs we're seeing and all this like effort to push crt on people there's no out there's no like okay i've received my training i now understand and now i'm going to be a, a, a better white person who understands that there's this, you know, whatever social it it's that you're perpetually in, engulfed in that forever and ever and ever. There's not an out for you. You are, you must constantly take the knee and, and bow your head and keep quiet. And also your silence is violence. Mm. Well, one thing, one, one thing I've been thinking about as well is that, um, the word privilege, I wonder if if we could also, as a society, be a little bit more, I don't know, historically informed about the fact that the word privilege can be used, can be used to dehumanize people as well. And sort of Lenin in pre-Russian Revolution, Russia was, I think it was, I think was trying to build his own utopia. And and um I think Michael Malice talked about this in a podcast I listened to, and he was sort of talking about how. Um, his favorite phrase, I think, Lenin was bourgeois privilege because he could basically say, um, I think it was like a, it was a Jewish anarchist feminist, Emma Goldman, or something like that. She said something like, um, This isn't quite the utopia we thought, you know, uh, you're not, you're locking people up for criticizing the government, you're shooting people for criticizing you and stuff. And he, you can't do this, you need to give people freedom of speech. And he said, Freedom of speech is a bourgeois privilege. And we'll, we'll give people their freedoms once we've ended the Russian revolution sort of thing. Once, once we've gotten something done and, um, you know, and obviously I think she, she was smart and she fled the country, but rather the Russian revolution continued and gotten, you know, went in the direction we all know, but um, nobody got the freedom of speech back. And, you know, he did all sorts of things that accused people of bourgeois privilege for having, for having meat on their bones. I think he would realize that, he would realize that they weren't skinny. So he could say your bourgeois privilege, because look, you're everyone else is a man, you know, completely emaciated. 
so you must be hiding bread somewhere so that's privilege or you know um i think even even prioritizing the your own children was some sort somehow bourgeois privilege because he was more interested in taking kids into some commune area and getting them trained up so he had flattened things i mean i just think privilege should be considered a word that that can have nefarious applications as well that's interesting because it's a way of dismissing someone saying you haven't earned what you have, mm-hmm. whatever that yeah. might be. And it's a and it's and it's an excuse for a purity spiral. Mm. And I saw this happen in a chat once um, where oh, there was some complaint about whiteness. And then one of the people who was um, sort of taking uh, the opposite view, the uh, kind of being critical of the CRT view uh described herself as mixed race and then she was called out for having partial white privilege and so it's just like you can just keep going and then you have people who are um you know not mixed race they're just they're they're black and they're they take the opposite view they're critical of crt but they have they have internalized whiteness so that's their you know they have they have some privilege by adjacency or whatever so it's a purity spiral it just never ends it makes me wonder oh go ahead uh, that term privilege has definitely been used, you know, they um, was used against the Kulak peasants who were relatively successful farmers. Um, you know, we can seize your property. Um, and it's kind of used to shame people and make people feel guilty and that they have to apologize. And um, it, it's, I think it's such a ridiculous term because everybody, despite their race, is born into such special and unique circumstances that it it really becomes meaningless when you look at each individual life and what each person has had sort of on their side and then stacked against them. And we're all born with, you know, plenty of um, both, I think. But I also think, well, if we want to go around slinging this term, well, what about now would we say that there's black privilege because we know that there are companies that specifically will not hire white people for certain positions. We know that there are companies in which managers bonuses are based in part on how many black people they recruit and how many um, you know, people of color they're recruiting. So do non-white people now hold a special kind of privilege in society? Because mm-hmm. uh, to me, it looks like, yes. So maybe we should just all stop slinging this term around and weaponizing it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the, because oh, there are pla- there are the, there are the places, I keep being a little devil advocate, there are the places where we might go, oh, there's, there is maybe some injustice that probably most people would agree about in society, right? And is there a way to motivate moving towards correcting that that doesn't require tearing down privilege or grievance or something, like, like, that, that, like things that might really merit like addressing or a conversation or something, right? Like, I, I don't know what the approach would be. Um, I do think the very least this grievance privilege um, act, whatever we want to call that, I think that just goes again right into the wiring, um, our, like the bad part of our human wiring, right? So it's like, like yeah. what, what, what way could we phrase, look at, conceive of, or whatever that might pull up something more aspirational, something more let's work together. I don't know what that is. I don't know how we'd frame the problem, but I, I'd kind of be for that. Um, I vote for that. Yeah, yeah, and I like how you pointed that out. That is kind of, it's just massaging the bad part, the worst part of our human selves to be constantly trying to bring up resentment and blaming and also to have that external locus of control that there's nothing any of us can do to improve our own lives, that everything's somebody else's fault. It's a very unhealthy way of thinking. Well, this idea that there's, there is a, there's an actual direction in which some of this could be pointed and um, and make some sense and maybe taken a different tone uh, using more logic and more nuance. But I, I'm thinking of that, what was that movement that sprung up and quickly died back down? It was like the 99% movement. Was that, do you remember this? It was like oh, in the- 
Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. And they were pointing out like this, the, the economic crash and the way these these big corporations and banks just made out like bandits and how there's so much wealth concentrated as we're seeing the middle class dwindling and and people are becoming, uh, you know, like it's really hard to live as a, a single income family now. We've had so much drift in the in the middle class downward while we have this concentration of wealth upward. And what I'm reminded of is uh, learning about the antebellum period when the, the wealthy plantation owners and slaveholders pitted the poor whites and the blacks against each other in order to make sure that they were kept squabbling and seeing each other as, as different and as enemies um, while the, the fat cats at the top just sat and, and made out like bandits and, and sort of diffused any upward pressure from the larger masses of disenfranchised people. Oh, I think that that is a topic for a future live stream. This um, chapter that I'm now in the book, Cynical Therapies, um, talks specifically about that type of idea and how a lot of the things that are happening now really benefit our modern sort of technocrat elites. It was very interesting. Which chapter is that? I'm reading that book as well. Uh, who's the author? Do you remember? Chapter two, it was uh, Nick. I can't remember his last name. It begins with an O. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, I have the book in my living room or else I'd pull it up right now, but it's a, it's a great book. I'm just jumping from one chapter to another. Of really interesting ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, oh, sorry, it's a certain, what would, no. what would we use as our argument? You know, cause the, the Kendi argument, um, we need present discrimination to, you know, address past discrimination. So how, what is our, you know, what is our counter argument, I guess, aside from causing complete societal unrest and, <laughs> and not, you know, like not working together to actually improve things. Um, what is the, what else can we sort of say to that? Cause that's kind of what's going on. The present discrimination is going on towards the white people. Right. So. Well, it's the two wrongs don't make a right. That's a simple mm -hmm. argument for that. It's like, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage where one person is being a, uh, being abusive and, and verbally abusive and, and awful to the other person. If they want to make their marriage last, well, that person needs to figure out that they're doing it and stop doing that. It's not like, okay, you, I'm just going to be more verbally abusive and nasty to you. Now that now this is how we're going to go forward. What, what is your goal? If your goal is to be a country or a community of people or whatever of, of harmony and connection and, and fairness and social justice, if we will, then why on earth would you incite further discrimination and further pain? Why wouldn't you just educate people on how to be more fair to one another? Yeah. Kendi isn't interested in ending discrimination. He wants to redistribute it, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's a zero-sum game in the intersectional world because there's only a finite number of resources and we've done all the progress we need to do. So there's no chance of us growing together. There's no chance of groups working together we're all at war because there's finite resources and if if you don't get something it means i might be able to get it and that's an ugly way to look at people i try to yeah. think about because i think sometimes okay if, it, if there's karma right <laughs> like metaphysical but are there other ways to um I don't want to say the clear karma, work with karma that don't require the, you know, I take your eye, you take my eye. Like, is there the uplift, right? Is there, I think of like Martin Luther King or something like let's, or Gandhi, like let's take some higher move um, and that somehow can digest or metabolize whatever the past, you know, ill was. I don't know if people feel that that's what happened with the civil rights movement or not, but um, insofar as there seems like there's a lot of undigested pain or resentment or, or whatever. And that's why I just always wonder like, how can we get it? That I know it's getting stoked a lot. So people are almost manufacturing more than maybe was really there. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what's the, you know, what's the, I don't wanna say justice, like what's the, what resolves that in, the, in some way that people can actually go, okay, wow, I like, I feel better and I'm on board with you or, you know, um, mm -hmm. I, I, think, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's to aim for a society that allows each individual to bring out the best in themselves. 
because then that benefits everybody. Well said. And I think that yeah. I'm looking at the time. I know Jennifer has to go to her group. And um, thank you to everybody who joined us in the chat. I wish I'd had a chance to go through and read some of the comments. I'll scan it in a little bit. But um, thank you to everyone who's here. And thank you, David and Deborah and Jennifer. And uh, if you haven't joined us in a solid ground group, we invite you to join us because we have a lot of really good discussions there too. And everybody have a great week. You too. Thanks, Thanks guys. Guys. And thanks everyone for Thanks watching.